The audio content of this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences or listening locations. Explicit language, situations, and viewpoints may be expressed that may offend certain listeners. Those listeners may piss off. Hello, everyone. It is Friday, Friday, Friday. So we're back on the road again, and I am the Fat Man Farmer. And I'm Wee Wild Woman. And we are on our way to Indianapolis today for no other reason than to go see Wee Wild Woman's uh, adult BFF, I guess. Is that what you want to call her? Yeah, probably. So she decided we should do a podcast because it's been a while, and we didn't necessarily have a topic until right before we got in the car. So we are going to talk about what we has learned. You and me, because I won't be able to very talk in fine details very well. All right, so we will be discussing what we has learned beyond normal education school by being a homeschooler on a farm on a homestead. So she is currently enrolled in the Excellus Academy, which is an accredited online school, but she can go at her own pace. And she seems to really like it. Well, you talk about it. What do you do you like it? Yeah, I do like it. It is pretty fun. Better than doing the books and that. The the workbooks and things? Yes. Is it because so Excellus does there's no advertising in here, so we're just telling our experience with it. Um, it's a paid-for program, so you have to pay a tuition, essentially. It's a public-private school that's accredited, I believe is how it was described. And there's now two different options. One is you allow Excellus to basically determine what they're learning and how they're learning, and we have no problem with that. Or there's one that the parent is in complete control. So we picked some extra electives for her um, when we started to sign up, and she seemed to like some of them. So like intro to coding and introducing to coding, robot dance programming, and foundation of music in that, which teaches you about the history of music, about the different instruments, where they came from. I actually probably would learn more facts from that class than any of my other like social studies in that. She has some complaints about it because, one, she says, social studies, you have a walking map with you everywhere you go, meaning her phone. Why does she need to learn some of these things? It's a valid somewhat point, but it is good to have a general knowledge of where things are in the world. And your least favorite class, social and emotional learning for middle schoolers. And it's all about feelings and relationships with other people. However, she goes out in public and can hold conversations with college students, with adults, has no problem getting into conversations and things, but she has zero tolerance for bullshit. Yes! (laughs) And drama. And mean and cruel people. So, you know, the whole aspect of gotta be nice to everybody's not really the, the case. You should try to make an effort to be nice to people, but some people just don't deserve to be nice, too. Anyway, so that's about the homeschool. So, it is a regular school program, but she can go at her own pace, and it's not where she has to go somewhere and sit in a classroom for eight hours a day and has lots of busy work and then has homework on top of it. Um, And with the program, it's video-based, and when she does her tests or quizzes, if she doesn't score a certain grade on it, showing that she learned the material, then she gets another chance to repeat it. And they explain things in a different way. And if she still doesn't get it, they get a third option of how to explain it, or maybe a different way to explain it than the other two. And if there's still confusion, the te- one of the teachers will reach out and through email um, or messaging they can get fine-tuned of what was the issue on the lesson that she didn't get. And that's happened like once or twice. For the most part, she gets it in the first or second round. Um, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, like, in some places with her dyslexia, 
she's a little behind on the the reading comprehension and where you're having to write essays, which we as parents don't care necessarily about that because she's found ways around it of using voice to text to her phone, and she's much more articulate and can communicate better verbally. So with the learning disability, that has hindered that. So she may be a grade or two behind in the reading and essay portion. However, she sailed through science and math and is in several grades higher. So you really get to master what you're, you're good at and proceed forward. Now what's nice is down the road they have all kinds of extra electives like electrical engineering, HVAC, uh, you know, some of the more technical engineering and skilled trade classes, and those directly transfer if she wanted to go to a trade school or things. So, you know, while there's not necessarily the hands-on, you're doing a lot of the book work and lecture work up front. My science class is actually t- helping me learn more about circuits and electricity and that stuff, how to do the circuit and how connecting sometimes directly between the source can get you a stronger power source if you were to go from individually to individually. So well, see, smaller, there you go. Smaller. Um, we get a monthly report on grades and not just, you know, what she's doing in the class, but her quiz scores, what she's doing on learning assessments, how much time it took, how many times she had to repeat a lesson before she got it. So it's, it's really informative, and I don't want to say it's hands-off for us because we can be more involved, but for the most part, she picks and chooses what days she wants to do it. If it's Monday and she doesn't feel like going to school, then go to school. But for the most part, you do like Monday and Tuesday, you get everything knocked out, and then Wednesday night you watch an hour, hour and a half long video. Uh-huh, Science Life, which usually in the first half, it's usually got some cool interesting facts, usually some science, history, like coding, teacher talks about like different robots, allies, all kinds of that stuff. And then, you know, that, because she watches that video, that gives you a reduction in tuition. So instead of being like $280 a month, it's down to 60 or 80 I can't remember. But for us, it's worth it, and she pretty much goes year-round. So, you know, while some kids are off in the summer and then they have to have another month or two of refresher to get back into things, she pretty much goes year-round, and if she wants to have a five-day weekend, we have a five-day weekend. If we want to go somewhere, and she, like during fair, pretty much all homeschool is, we don't do any of it. But she either you know, does a week ahead of fair or catches up after fair. So it's really, really flexible for whatever schedule you have going on. So I didn't even talking about what we're the, our main points of what we're talking about. So things that you have learned outside of what a normal education for your 12, a 12 year old would have. So you'd be in middle school. So let's see, while I was driving, I was thinking, you formed your own business. You are running your own business. You know about taxes. You know about licensing, about how the government works and some of that, um, or doesn't work. I also aspect. have more information on the world than an average 12-year-old would. This is true because you do watch a lot of online media, which this isn't necessarily about your business. So we'll go back to that. We'll come back. But with your business, you've learned about return on investment. So you're, you're really good on this. Of We'll go to different resale stores or Goodwill, or she's come across stuff that was in storage. Takes a picture of it, looks it up online on what the value of it is, and is it worth making the purchase? Is it a valuable or collectible item? Could she make money on it by flipping it? You know, I mean, 12-year-olds do that right now. Um, she learned about taxes and how much taxes are going to be taken away from her. However, we have a different viewpoint on the taxes that, as a 12-year-old, she cannot vote for any representation for her business. So she can't vote her politicians or, you know, even in some of the referendum, if there was something coming along that we got to vote for on tax bases or sales tax, she's not allowed to do that. So if she's not allowed to vote of the entities that are controlling her aspect of her taxation, 
then why should she be paying taxes? Because so this is now taxation without representation, and we fought a, a revolution on this. So you know, for that aspect, I'm not going to falter for not filing income taxes and filing some of these things, for the sheer aspect that she's at 12 years old. The system's not designed for her. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so you've dealt with the public. You've dealt with new customers. You've dealt with upselling people. With so upselling? Sales and marketing. So if someone were to come to the house and they are wanting to buy, let's say, granola bars from us, what, 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 while they're there, what do you want to do? Trying to see if they would be interested in any other items and that to see if they would while they're there there would be anything else that would perk their interest that they may not know about that we had so that's called an upsell why they're there you're upselling and getting additional um, income so that's something that it takes some people a long time to learn so once you have a, an initial sale it's much easier to sell somebody a second time or sell something additional once that first sale is made now, some of this stuff is not taught until college or even on the job, and you're learning it at 12. All right, so, so you know, running a business, sales and marketing, we learned about um, having to deal with government regulations and how that can impact a small business. The uh, government will love to make you cry. There you go. Departments of making you sad. Yeah, but every, go every government likes to make people cry. I think they enjoy it most of the time. Can we tell that she's a little anarchist? Anyway, so, alright, and then we were talking about this this morning, foraging. You've learned quite a bit about foraging just from on the farm, from what I've learned, and I share that knowledge with you, but you have that free time in, since you're only going to school for a couple of hours a week, you have a lot of extra free time to learn extracurricular things that you wouldn't normally learn, so... We've learned about different tree species that are beneficial and what each tree species can can give you. So, for instance, let's say black walnut. Black walnuts you can use for tapping them for sap to get black walnut syrup. You can eat the nuts. You can take the husk and make it into a drink. I don't know what that drink is called. Nichino, Nikino. We've not made it yet. It's, a, it's an alcoholic drink, so uh, it's a... Uh, steeped in the green walnut husk for like a year or something. It has to age and ferment in vodka or everclear. I don't remember the whole recipe, but it's something that you can use. What else is black walnut good for? Uh, lumber, shade, a large variant of herbivore animals can eat the leaves. Um, what else? Let's see. Uh, the dye, the walnut husks make a good dye. Oh, yeah, you can use the walnut husks to dye stuff with. And then, you know, worst case, there's firewood. True, there's that too. So, uh, we talked about another one that I didn't think that she knew about it, but she did. Sassafras. So, what is sassafras good for? You can use the roots from the sassafras tree to make your own root beer. And you, what was the... You can use the leaves to make a spice. Fila, which is a key ingredient in gumbo and southern recipes, which I never knew that's where filet came from. It took me months looking for filet at different stores. Come to find out, we can grow it in our own backyard, and we have lots and lots of sassafras trees. So, you know, that's something else. Mulberry. Mulberry, you can eat the berries that grow on it, hence the name mulberry, mulberry tree. Well, not just eat them. You can make jams, jellies, wine, yeah. syrup. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can tap that thumb, does it? You cannot. Not that I'm aware of. It's not one of the 26 that we learned, but you can make uh, mulberry syrup by boiling down the juices from it, so there is that. Um, it's an excellent firewood. Because it burns for a long period of time. It's very hot burning. It's a lot of BTU in it. Um, it's a coppicing, which black walnut is also coppicing. What and does coppicing mean? 
asking me because you don't know, or are you asking me to explain it because other people may not know? Both. Okay, so coppicing is something that they used to practice, and they still do, in other countries, mainly like the UK and um, Russia and some of the, the Balkan areas. So there are certain tree species that you can cut, and they will naturally start regrowing. And by cutting them, it basically resets the tree's cat-like life cycle. So let's just say it's a 20-foot tall tree. If you cut it at 6 foot high, it will sprout new shoots coming off. And in a couple of years, when those get thick enough, you can cut those off. And then those will re-sprout. And so it keeps re-sprouting and re-sprouting um, new growth. And every new growth, it basically sets the tree back to say, hey, I'm in a uh, sapling phase. I need to send up extra nutrients and extra shoots. And some of these coppice trees are thousands of years old because they keep doing that practice. So by coppicing it, you can take those tops and feed the leaves and things to livestock. So it's tree hay. Now, once they've eaten all the leaves and, and things off of that, what most people do is, in these countries, they don't feed the leaves and things to them. They just basically just cut them and let it dry and the leaves fall off. And they use that for firewood. So where we're at, we cut the whole tree down, split it up into big chunks and burn it that way. But where some of these other places are, they don't need that much wood or that size of wood to heat some of these houses. It's much smaller. Or they use it for cooking. So, you know, if you're using it as tree hay, you're getting, you know, two benefits off of that one cutting. Um, they also use it for building materials, too. So some of the wattle fences or uh, willow fences, they'll take willows and weave them in between stakes that are driven in the ground, and the stakes that are driven in the ground are usually of a hardwood, which they've coppiced, and that's how some of the fencing structures they used for, you know, goats and sheep and pigs and things. Because um, once those, the willows dry out, they become very hard, and because they're interlocked and woven together, that fence is very, very sturdy once it dries. So if you think willows, when they're, they're green, they're really pliable and really bendable, but once that dries, it turns like rock hard again. So, you know, that practice, black walnut's one of those, bulberry's one, willow is one, cottonwood is one, uh, uh, locust. black locust is one, uh, okay. Osage orange is one, uh, and I recently learned that, oh, it's that one, hackberry is another one. So, you can do all this stuff, and if you have livestock ruminants, so like, rabbits, horses, sheep, goats, cows, all of those things can eat these things. The one you want to stay away from is cherry. Now, I don't know if cherry will coppice, but uh, cherry leaves that are wilted contain a, I want to say it's cyanide. It's, it's toxic to most ruminants, so you don't want to use cherry if you're going to be doing tree hay. Um, so, oh, there's another one. Elm. Elm is another one. I'm using trees that we're, we're in Indiana, so, you know, your region, your trees that are this kind of use may vary. Oh, sorry. Sorry, had a sneeze. Couldn't find the pause button in quick enough time. I won't edit that up because that's going to take way too much time to do. Most of our podcasts are pretty much raw, unedited format, unless there's something going on. Okay, so we learned about different trees and, you know, we're talking about foraging. You've also learned other foraging things besides just the trees and their uses. What are some other things that you've learned either through homeschool or, or not necessarily, through life on the farm or things that we've taught you or that you've learned in other places? I've learned how to identify certain unedible mushrooms in that, like the puffball mushrooms are big and wide. They're kind of like a Puffball. Yeah, yeah. Now, to note, when you harvest puffballs, they need to be white all the way through. Um, she doesn't necessarily know because she doesn't eat mushrooms, so but she picks them for us. So when you harvest them and you cut into them, they need to be white all the way through, or cut any of the 
the browning pieces out. Not that it's toxic. I'm just going. I don't know that it's toxic or not, but that's what we were told when we were learning about puffballs. All right. So you know puffballs. You know morels. Morels. There's several different kinds of morels. Now there is a false morel which can make you sick, but it won't kill you. Well, it tastes like roadside sushi, and it'll make you sick. No. Well, maybe. I don't know. I've not eaten them. I just heard it will make you sick. Um, so what else is there? Uh, What's the bright orange ones? Chicken of the woods? Yep. What's the one that looks like a bird butt? Turkey tail. Um, there's another one that looks like turkey tail and chicken of the woods combined. Hen of the Woods. You remember that giant one that you found at, at Angela's that time? Was it at Angela's or our place? It was at Angela's that you held it up. It was on an old tree. And this thing was the size of, like, a beach ball. I don't remember that. Um, so, you know, you've got wild mushrooms. What are some other things that you've learned that you can harvest in the woods that or? Uh, pawpaws from the pawpaw tree. This is true. What pollinates the pawpaws? Carrion flies. Why? Because the flies smell like rotting meat, and so the flies are attracted to that, which can also sometimes maybe attractive for a predator or turkey vultures. So you mean the flowers, not the flies smell like flies. I knew what you meant. Carrion. Carrion. Um, so, I see. And can there are people who are allergic to pawpaws. There are. I am unfortunately one of them. 3% of the population are allergic and it is not hives. It's not anaphylactic shock. It is bad roadside sushi. It feels like you are going to die from food poisoning. About a week long is how long it took for me the last time I ate them. And you know what? I didn't learn less the first time. The first time I thought I got sick because they were not fully ripe when I ate them. Second time I ate them, I finally put two and two together, and it was the pawpaws that were making me sick. So, uh, okay, what about what you, you talked about mulberries? Are there any other berries that you can eat? My brain is trying to think, but it's pulling a blank for some reason. What does mother love to pick? Oh, black raspberries, blackberries. Wild gooseberries. I didn't know there were wild gooseberries. You learned it today, though. Um, you can also eat the black cherries off the black cherry tree, but there's, like, so little fruit versus what the seed is, it's, like, not even worth it. Um, what else? I think that's about blackberries, black raspberries. Um, you knew about uh, sucking the nectar out of honeysuckle. Oh, yeah, how you pull the stem thing out and you can eat the nectar, nectar from it. Um, let's see, what else can you identify that I know of offhand? You do know quite a few medicinal herbs. I guess I do. What's the one that you call false lamb's ear? It's got the big yellow flower I, that you want to harvest. I'm feeling. Yep. So we learned that mulin, it's a good for respiratory issues. Um, it also can be used for toilet paper because it's soft like lamb's ear. Um, but we learned the seeds from the mulin, while it is illegal in all 50 states to do this, you can crush them, and if you throw them into water, it stuns the fish. So then you would just pick them up off the surface. So we were watching, I don't know. I, it was a YouTube short or a TikTok or something, and they were talking about that this is a practice that many Native Americans use to get the, the fish easier. Because, you know, back then uh, it, there wasn't a lot of fishing hooks. So you use different techniques to, to get your food sources when you're hunting and gathering. So that was something that we learned. Um, trying to think of some other things. 
We can uh, get yarrow. Yep, yarrow is one. It's also called, uh, you can use it to stop bleeding. If you crush it up and then is it bad water? You, you kind of crush it up and you put it on the wound and it's going to help stop bleeding. Uh, it's supposed to be uh, the, the Latin names like Achilles something and they used to use it in Greek and Roman times to do the same thing for stop bleeding. Um, there was another one that was just on the top of my head before you said yarrow. You know Bebom. Bebom is one as well. That's it. That's a medicinal. Um, I'm trying to think of what grows out with some of the pastures that you know of that we've seen out there. Um, drawing a blank too. We'll, we'll come back to that if we come back to see because I'm looking out the windows driving and I'm thinking ah, there's something out here. Oh! What are the orange flowers that are found in the ditch that you that are for treating poison ivy? Golden goldenrod? Nope, but close. Goldenrod doesn't is it, it does have a medicinal, but I don't remember what it is. And you can use goldenrod as a dye. Um, jewelweed. Jewelweed. Okay. So there are two kinds of jewelweed. Do you remember which one is the more potent one? Nope, the orange one is the more potent one. The gold ones are the false jewelweed, which they still will work, but not as as well as the the orange ones. And those um, you can make into jewelweed soaps. That if you ever get into poison ivy, you can use that, and it will neutralize the poison ivy uh, oils. Or um, it's usually found close by where poison ivy grows. And you can rub the plant directly on places that are itching from poison ivy. Uh, you have different types of mint, like spearmint and that. Well, technically those aren't wild. Those were from a farmstead that have escaped and gone rogue and gone invasive. But you are correct. There are mints that are out there. What's the stuff that grows down in the spring? Uh, spearmint, chocolate mint. Watercress. Watercress, too. There's also duckweed, surprisingly, growing down there. And you can eat duckweed. You can? Yep. Um, people put it in, like, smoothies and things because it's high in protein. Huh. Um, but we have watercress growing. She's transplanted watercress into different places as well as transplanted duckweed. Um, cattails, you can eat the roots. Are those the ones that get the really puffy... That look like corn dogs? Yeah. Yeah, that's that. Okay, so that's kind of a, a round. I mean, you know, how many 12 year olds know some of these things? I mean, unless you're a hunting gathering kind of family, that's not something that you would learn in a regular school. Uh, you've learned about geology and rocks from just going out and picking stuff up and researching it. Yeah, I do have a large collection of rocks and different geodes. I can only so far. practice. 
we don't ask the space to do that or flat ground. Go out in one of the pastures. We can go to a parking lot and do it. We'll use Mother's car, though. Yeah, that's a waste of money. <laughs> it's smaller and not nearly as big as a truck, so... You couldn't seriously probably damage a car. Yeah, you could. The car would, the truck would be much more robust for you to go over curbs or whatnot, but we need the truck more than we need her car. Moving on, so let's talk about life on the farm and things that you've learned. You know where your food comes from. You know what it takes to get an egg. You know that you don't need to have a rooster to get eggs. You only need a rooster if you want to hatch eggs. But if you do leave the eggs that, if you have a rooster and you leave the eggs too long up ahead, you might have a chance of a baby chick starting to form. How long does it take? Do you remember? Because we're hatching eggs. Not right this second, because the incubator still smells. There's eggs in it. Yes, there is. What? It's on the porch. So we had an incident where the, uh, the incubator had some eggs that exploded because somebody didn't grab fresh ones. I was 95% sure they were fresh. Well, 5% made the whole house stink. Or, it could have been on my part that I did not check them very well that they weren't cracked. So, as we're incubating these eggs, we had several explode. They were inside the incubator when they exploded, but man, do they stink. We've tried washing, bleaching, cleaning the incubator, and it seems that that smell is just embedded in it. So I don't know how the best way to clean it is. Maybe we'll get some peroxide and clean it or leave it out in the sun to UV bake it. But, whoo, rotten eggs stink. And it's right by my seat by the table. Yes. So where we had it in the house, it was a shelf right behind where she sits at the table. So it's not pleasant. So we moved it out on the porch. So anyway. You know about, you know, chicken life cycle, you know about duck life cycle, raising these animals from the point where they first hatch. You've raised quite a few birds from the beginning. Turkeys? I have raised turkeys. You know about medical care, so you've brought some ryback birds back from the grave. Or they were circling the grave, circling the toilet, but you brought those guys back. How, do you remember what causes Rynek? Vitamin B deficiency. Vitamin D, yes. Vitamin D, vitamin B. They're similar letters and I get those confused. Um, so it's a vitamin D deficiency and you can get drops at, I want to say it's TSC or something, but we didn't get them from there. We ended up getting vitamin D drops from... No, we didn't use drops. We used the paste. Oh, you use the paste? We used to have drops, so there's paste now? Yeah, when we, I was doing it because I would have to open it, smell for put a little in the sink, or I'd use my other hand to pry the mouth open it. Alright, well see, I learned something. We used, when we first got the, ran into this, we ended up using uh, vitamin D drops from the infant and child care area in the, the pharmacy or the drugstore or you know, Kroger or wherever. And I'm guessing they must have picked up some vitamin D paste at Tractor Supply or Jeffers or Premier One or one of those places. Um, let's see. What do we do? With what, what's going on with the turkeys right now? Or what we think is going on? We think it is rumblefoot because their feet are large. But Mother poked them and tried to get pus or anything out of it. She doesn't think it's rumblefoot. Maybe it's so the turkeys have been limping, and they've got a swollen foot, and I originally thought it was brumble foot, which is just an staph infection in the feet. Moron. Sorry. The guy missed his exit and backed up on the interstate. Um, that's how accidents happen. But uh, it's an infection in the foot, and you know they end up limping and point where they can't go feed and get water or something gets them because they can't get away. So there we, was something in an audio book that talked about it. It was like an old movie that was supposed to take place in medieval times or something. I couldn't remember what 
Was this in one of your dragon books? Yes, it was something from the Falconer's Guide or something. Okay. So there may or may not have been some fact in there. If it, you listen to more fiction than you do non-fiction. I wish then to Greek it out would talk talks about Greek mythology. Okay. Anyway. You used to listen to that. You don't listen to it anymore, do you? Because it's not entertaining because I've watched all of those, listened to all of those like a thousand times. So, uh, you are treating it with... Well, that makes a mixture. I think it's like coconut oil, tea tree, and something else. I think she told me what it was. See, this is the problem. Mother is the, the vet and does a lot of the medicinal things or animal and wound care and maybe she does tell us that we just don't pay attention because I, I do remember she said it's tea tree coconut, uh, coconut oil uh, there's like two or three other essential oils that she put in lemongrass oil maybe it has a strong order of tea tree and something else Eucalyptus? You're asking me like... Lavender? You're asking me like my brain will finally like snapping like, oh yeah, that's what it is. I don't remember what it is, so... Anyway, she has some tea tree, or some oil concoction that she's made and is treating them with essential oils. Um, you pulled your first lamb this year? Yeah, it was a little. But now that you've done it, do you think you can do it again? The first time's always scary. Maybe. My only fear is I'm going to pull a little too hard or not hard enough. It's always a fear, but you know what? Every time I hear people talk about pulling, usually you want to pull with the lamp or animal contracting. That's making it easier. Correct. Um, I showed you the video of the where the guy did it the butt, right? And push the head out versus no, pulling the head I, out? No, but I don't know if I want to and I don't think I could do that because I don't have enough knowledge to do that. But with the experience, you gain knowledge. I've never done it. Mother usually does a lot of the, like I said, vet and animal care. And that's, uh, did I miss our exit? think so. No, we're still good. Okay. Well, we don't usually go this way. I, I'm going, when we come to Indy, we go to certain places and that's the only place that we go to, so we're going in a different direction to where we don't usually go. And we don't come to Indy very often. We'll get there eventually. Anyway, um, you've treated and brought back a lot of lambs and goats back to life. Hypothermia. You were the expert on the hypothermia protocol. Yeah, I am pretty good at hypothermia. Dealing with hypothermia. 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 My brain, my brain can't pronounce the word. I don't know why. So what is the hypothermia protocol? And walk us through. You come out to the pasture and or the barn and you see a newborn lamb that... What do you first look for when you when you come across it? Usually seeing if it's wet, it's mama's whip it, if it is taking care of it, if the umbilical core wet or dry, which can predict how old it is. If it's dry, it's usually like over three or more hours old. Okay. So what... what, if, what let's, let's walk through this slower for people who may not have experience of this. This is, you know, like second knowledge to you, but you got to explain it like somebody's never done it. So you walk out, you see a lamb that is not with mom and is wet. What do you do? Walk up, see if it is shivering, and then stick a finger in its mouth to see if it is cold or if it has a warm mouth or a sucking reflex, just in case it doesn't. Okay. Let's go down this path, and it has a cold mouth, 
mom's not around, what do you do? I'm and it's still wet. I'm probably going to take the lamb up while holding it close to my chest. Well, make sure I close the gate behind me because we don't need animals eating now. Take it inside. Go to your guys' bathroom. Grab a towel to try and keep it warm and try to dry it off. Get a, one of our hair dryers, set it on the lowest setting, start rubbing the lamb with one hand while using the hair dryer to keep a fair distance between the lamb and the hair dryer to not overheat it or heat it too quickly while rubbing it to try and get it to wake up because mom would usually rub it once it is out to clean it up and that which would trigger it to stand up, start looking for mom, or try and eat. Okay, so once it gets, let's say, warm enough, what's warm enough for, when do you stop warming it? Uh, usually, I, we have a thermometer, which for sheep, we don't, and for, unlike humans, which you would check temperature in between head or mouth, you have to stick it up through the butt, which you usually want to use boob or something. up so it's using any of its spit 
energy or energy that it got from mom in womb to try and raise that temperature. So if you were to give it cool molasses water or cool colostrum, the body has to warm that up even more, stealing more of that energy. So you're giving molasses water because it is a quick sugar boost with some minerals and nutrient in it that allows it to get into the blood and circulatory system much faster than the colostrum would. The colostrum, it needs to be broken down. It is a very dense, nutrient-rich um, material. It's, it's real thick. It's like, like butter, kind of. Um, soft butter. It's, it's very thick and it's very good for them. But, on their empty stomach, when their body has already used all of their available energy, there's no reserves left to process that. So the molasses water gives them that little boost of energy to help their system jumpstart back and be able to process colostrum once it started to warm up. So, once you give the molasses water, we usually give a couple of doses over a couple of hours if we've not been able to locate mom. Um, and then once it has had several doses of molasses water and is standing and seems to be able to take it uh, fairly easily, we'll switch over to the colostrum within the first 24 hours. So, you are correct. You can't process it. Give it a little more details as to why that is. I have also noticed, usually the ones that quickly latch on are eating more aggressively, seem to have more issues in that as you get farther on. The ones that usually take you a little bit more time to get them latch on, but then are pretty good seem to do better than the ones that just quickly latch on. You, you would know more because you have rescued more hypothermic animals than mother well, and I I've combined. I've actually noticed it more this year because we've had more troubles than that. Yeah, this year was a bad year. Um, Alright, so you found, you've gone over so what if we are, you know, once we can get colostrum in them, what's the next step? Usually if we've got colostrum in them, they're standing in that and they're talking with that more. Usually one of you guys or I will be going out to go to look to see if we can find mom. And that's A, looking for blood, a you calling, or another you that had another baby with her also as fresh as the other one, which could be a sign of mom went off to have the other twin and left the other one behind. Which sometimes happens if a ewe is disturbed, whether that's a predator or another ewe tries to take the baby, she may leave and go somewhere else. So um, that does happen sometimes. Ewes who are either close to being in labor, in labor, or had a lamb but either lost the lamb for one reason or another, um, like physically just lost it, she couldn't keep track of it, or the lamb died, or um, stillborn, she may try and steal another used baby. So, ideally, we want that baby to latch back on to mom because bottle babies suck. Yeah, you have to deal with targeting for like the first couple of weeks. That's not just bottle babies. That's new babies, human babies, too. They're marconium, is what it's well, called, too. Well, human babies, you can at least put a diaper on them. You can put diapers on lambs. We've done that before. Yeah, but it certainly is harder. And a human baby goes for, like, over like 2,000 or more diapers. We went to a baby shower recently, so she was filled with lots of new baby facts. So, okay, so... We will get the colostrum in the first 24 hours. That's the key piece. That's, that's the one that you really want to hit on once the baby is up to the right temperature, the lamb. If it is not, you can kill it by giving it um, colostrum when its body is not up to temperature. We learned this the hard way. Um, we also learned the molasses protocol the hard way. So all these things that we're talking about, we've learned because we've lost lambs. And we did everything we could to find out what we did wrong and how to prevent it. So when we tried to give colostrum and the temperature wasn't all the way up, that was a, a bad piece on our... And we, 
we've known about this. We knew about the classroom, but we didn't know how warm they needed to be. Now we do. Um, we didn't know about the molasses piece until we lost several, and we did everything we could. The body was warm enough. They were, you know, the time was there, but we didn't know about the the lack of energy, and that was something that I think we learned from either sheepishly me or when we were trying to figure out what we did wrong and you know having a lamb die on you that way it it's really hard um once they so it's kind of go i'll go down the the process of what happens if they get too cold you give molasses water too soon or you give colostrum too soon or their body's just not ready for either one of those they will start seizing so they'll have seizures and the seizures get more and more frequent so you might have one every hour and then it becomes half an hour 20 minutes five minutes till they just are done we i had to deal with a lot of plants i also have a stethoscope that i actually had to bring down to the back because i was having trouble So it's it's really hard, and you do everything you can, and you know that's kind of one of the, the the farming things. If you can't handle some of this, it's 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 you know we keep telling you know when she's lost her first one, it's it's emotional, and it doesn't necessarily get any easier. And you could spend all day trying to get this and pulling for the lamb, and they're trying to fight and they're trying to do it, and this sometimes it's just not in the cards. And, you know, you tell, we've told her, and we tell ourselves that's part of farm life, but it sure shit doesn't get any easier, and it still tugs on you, and both of us are looking emotional here now, because we've had some that we really wanted to pull through, and they just, they couldn't, or we had one that just, it just lost its will to live, it just, it just didn't want to fight anymore, and there was nothing that we could do, we had to tube feed it repeatedly, it just... That was a hard one on Mama because she was out there tube feeding it every couple of hours, getting up in the middle of the night, and just it, 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 it had no will to live anymore. Um, okay, so ideally lambs, and so this goes for goat kids too. Um, the same protocol. We've not had as many issues with goat kids as we had with lambs because the lambs typically, no, they actually breed about the same time, don't they? So, yeah, probably. We just have less goats than we have of lambs. Oh, so sheep. our goats are pretty good parents, too. Uh, Uchi bottle raised. Zena, Gabrielle. Uh, That's because Zoe didn't want them. I'm pretty sure we also took care of Zoe. Yeah, Zoe was number uh, three for a while when she lived in the house. So, uh, it's... The protocol goes for them as well. We just have 200 you or 200 sheep, adult sheep. Now we're up to like 300 sheep, and we have like 10 goats, and not all of them are breeding goats. All right. So what else do we have? Um, I'm trying to think. So I think that does that pretty much cover the hypothermia protocol and what we do and how we do it. Yeah, probably. Um. So latching on, getting a new baby to latch on to mama. That that's usually a two-person job, unless it's a sheep that you know is more friendly with people. I've never been able to get it latched on. I get too frustrated. You're much better. I don't know if they. You just have like the animal whisper touch. All the animals like you. Um, because I give them all kinds of different treats. Probably you bribe them. Um, yeah. And I don't threaten them that they're going to be dinner if they don't behave. Uh, so, uh, latching on takes a lot of time and patience. Mother's pretty good at it. Mother's the best at it. I'd say you're second, and I'm dead last. The, the, the you's better doing it on her own than me trying to force her to do it. Um, but we will usually, all of our lambs and goats, as soon as they lamb or kid, and we, you know, this is mom, this is baby, those two belong together, we will put them in a, a pen, so it's just mom and baby, 
and let them bond for at least 24 to 48 hours. And sometimes we have to have, you know, two moms in there or, you know, three moms in an area just because we don't have the space. But we want them to be isolated as much as possible and bond. And this is my baby, this is my mom, so they get the smell and they get accustomed to each other. When you're talking 200 sheep and they all go out at the same time, babies get trampled, moms lose babies, other moms try to steal babies. So, you know, it can be confusing, so trying to isolate them together. Um, and sometimes moms just suck at being moms or we never can figure out who who belongs to who. We've had that happen twice now. Several, well, you got your three. Uh, one, we know who her mom was. We just, mom didn't have the strength to take care of her. Yeah. The other two just showed up. Mother says the sheep fairy just dropped them off. So these are... There was one too many babies at the factory. <laughs> so we have, we refer to them as the shit shits. Um, the three that she raised in her room, uh, Sweet Pea, Kalula, and Crybaby. Crybaby. So I think we talked about them already at some point. I think we did in the last one. In the last one about the new babies. So um, Sweet Pea just showed up. We have no idea who she is, how, where she came from. She just was randomly in the barn. And she's a big girl. Yeah, I think like the normal lamb is supposed to be like four pounds. She was like eight or six. She's a big girl. Our lambs are, are much smaller. So a commercial breed lamb like the Suffolk and the Columbias and some of these, they come out at like 10 to 12 pounds. So ours are Shetlands and they're usually smaller and we have a lot of fin um, breed in ours. So all of our rams are at least half fin. So all the babies have at least a quarter fin if not more. Um, but fins are usually super, super, super small. And that's partially because fins can have up to eight babies um, at one time. That's the record. Uh, the, the most we've ever had is triplets. Um, so they bond, they try to get together, and then after 48 hours, maybe a little bit more if they need some extra extra time, and then they go out and gin pop, and that pretty much they've all been together. Um, we have lambing huts, which have heat lamps in them. And those are 55-gallon drums or plastic ones with heat lamps, and the little opening is cut out for the sheep to get uh, lambs to get in. Yeah, we had like eight in one drum. Yeah, they were dog piled on top. I of I called each it other. the clan car. Um, boy, some, I smell a skunk. Do you? Yep. And then the 275-gallon polytotes we have as well. And that allows the lambs to get away from the adults. They can go snuggle up together. Sometimes when the moms go out to graze and eat, the lambs will just hang out in there until mom comes back. Um, they, they find each other by both call and smell. Um, and these are all things that you knew. These are things that you've learned. I mean, how many other 12-year-olds can talk about hypothermia protocols for, for sheep? Or pull lambs, or what is? I mean, you know quite a bit about the lambs and or the sheep and health of them. Um, what what when they get the big like uh, bulge underneath their chin? That is usually because they have a parasite load. Do you remember what the term is called for that? Bottle jaw. Has nothing to do with milk, does it? It's worms. So for some reason, I don't know. There, there's a mechanism. Mechanism. Oh, mechanism. I, you were talking about like bottled milk. I was thinking like big abscess for the bottom jaw. Oh, it's no. always on the bottom jaw. It's not an abscess. It's it's a worm load. Usually it is barber pole worm when that happens, and we are very selective on what we treat for worms because we do not want to get into a situation where the worms are become immune to the, the treatment because if that's the case you basically have to start culling sheep killing them because no amount of treatment will cure the worms or get them out uh, once the, the worms become immune to the treatment um, 
so, you know, you, you talked about an abscess. You know, those can be... No, I was thinking oh. how it got its name in that. Oh. Because it's on the bottom jaw. Oh, you say bottom jaw. It's bottle... Well, maybe I'm mispronouncing it. I thought it was bottle jaw. Like a baby bottle, bottle jaw. You're thinking it's bottom jaw. I'm pretty sure it's bottle jar, but I might I may be wrong. You may be right. Um, what about clumpy runny poo? More than likely worms again. What about um, what we call dirty butt? Uh, so it's diarrhea. Diarrhea, and you also need to keep an eye out for that because they might have a chance get flies charged when flies get attracted to all the poop on their butt. Yep. Or we have the jingles. <laughs> the jingles, the dingleberries. Uh-huh. That is where they get poop balls stuck in their wool and they'll end up drying or they freeze in winter and as the sheep run, they, they jingle and it's kind of funny. We actually had one that we named jingles. Because they had so many. It was a really long wool and she had lots of dingleberries that hung on it. As she ran, it would clink. Um, let's see, what else? Um, their eye color. We walked, talked about this. What are the, the the eyelid color? What does that tell you? Uh, how bad their parasite load is. You want a dark red eyelid. That is a low or no parasite load. Pale pink or white they're knocking on death's door because of the parasite love. Um, let's see. What else do, do we know? Um, limping is could be... Something... Uh, worms, leg issues, something stuck in the foot, uh, got knocked out of the joint. Yeah, we've had that too. I'm trying to think of some other things that we've had... What is an indicator when they're grinding their teeth? That they are in severe pain. They, they they usually don't show a lot of pain or issues. I mean, I've seen them run through barbed wire, no issues. We had one that had its throat ripped out by a predator and was not crying, was not doing anything, was just sitting there chewing cud. Um, so, you know, they don't show a lot of pain, but if a goat or sheep is grinding their teeth more than likely they're stressed or in pain um let's see what else do you know i mean you know you know all these things about horses you know more about horses in your little toe than i know in all of my knowledge i don't even know that much i am on like that bare minimum you're on hippology which you go and compete at state and you guys win you get ribbons and tri and things for, for competing in these competitions. Hippology is a 4-H group that they compete in basically horse knowledge. Everything about the horse. The anatomy, the coloring, the pieces of equipment and gear, hooves. Um, different feats, different activities. Identify like different sports and that, that horses. Identify the different gates, which there are a lot of different gates for horses. Okay, so when she says gates, we're not thinking we're not talking open gate, closed gate to a barn or a door. Gate is how they walk, walk, walk run. So in my mind, there's walk and trot and run. That's that, that's the three sports in my head. But there's a lot more than that, aren't there? Yes, there's almost too many cans. I don't know all of them. I only like know the basics, like walk, trot. Canter, gallop. Did I say canter? Yes. Uh, trot, lope, gallop. Lope is a new one. Lope is your slower version of your trot, which you would use for your westerns or like your, like your dressage classes. Like I said, you know more about this in your little finger than I know. So. And then certain breeds have something called an extended walk and trot. It's, that's where they extend their front legs farther out. Usually, like drafts, like we have like an Atlantic draft, and she had an extended gate, or they have a completely different extended gate. All right. Um, what else do you know? 
you know about how to ban goats and sheep, which is castrating them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I could be the... I don't think I have enough arm strength right now to open the bander, but I can certainly hold them. Well, you could do the, the cow bander. That's two hands. Maybe. Maybe we need to try and use do some. We'll see, because we got to band all the sheep. I'm better at holding um, and catching them. Catching them, yes, because I am fast and I can grab. You're lower to the ground. You're more agile than me and Mother. You grab the legs and you lift. <laughs> um, you like to wheelbarrow them, grab them by the back legs and make them use their front legs to walk. Or drag them. Um, that's the nice thing about our sheep is they're not massively huge that her at her age can and size can pick up most of the ewes. Yeah, I had to help carry... I carried a ewe who was out in the pasture because she couldn't walk or something. I don't know what was wrong with her. But I picked her up and carried her Yes, back. you did. And then you had Gimpy. Yeah, which I do have to carry him. He has, like, something wrong with his feet. We don't know what. I think he has a joint dislocation. He's getting better, though. He keeps up with everybody in Gen Pop now. Uh-huh. But it's hard carrying... The, it's not that it's hard carrying the little sheep. They just freak out more. Yes. Especially when you have to carry two at once. Because you have to have, like, or one's bigger and the other smaller. The smaller one will try and squirm more. And then you have to try and carry the big one, which is freaking heavy. Let's see, what else? Well, we're, we're getting ready to go to a stop here. Um, we may have one episode. We may have two episodes. We're going to stop and do our errands. Go visit with... Our good friend Miss Amy at Habitat for Humanity Restore of Johnson County. And I thought it was in Indy, not Johnson. Johnson County is the county just south of Marion County, which is where Indy is. And they all kind of blend together. So I don't know how you tell those cities apart. It's city and city and then small cities. There's not really like a distinction like there is in Greencastle where there's a definitive edge of where the city starts and where it ends. Um, Okay, so we will get off here for now and either we will continue with things that we know that she didn't learn from school or we will start something else. So I am the Fat Man Farmer. And I'm Wee Wild Woman. We'll talk to you soon.